Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed Podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, hi there, everybody. Uh, I'm sitting here with my friend Catherine Askew, and we are at a conference center north of London, and uh, we've been hanging out with leaders of traditional and new monastic communities mm-hmm. for the last three days. We've been praying and playing and eating and having all kinds of fun together, just exploring sort of the our differences, our commonalities, and, and sort of the threads of the gospel that run through all of our shared lives together. It's been really beautiful. Mm. And so I thought, well, Catherine's here, and I just happened to have brought my, my little recorder. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to have a little chat today about... Um, uh, just about Catherine and about her community and uh, and about a dispersed religious order. How on earth do we live life together apart? Uh, and and we're going to learn from her life and her community experience. So, Catherine, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for grabbing me, Jill. And it has been a wonderful few days together with all these other good folks. Um, do, do you know, I have to interrupt. The, um, our friendship went to a whole new level yesterday. Mm. We, we went charity shopping together. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, this has cemented the friendship. So, anyway, so she likes charity shopping and other things. Yes, and other things. So I grew up um, in East Tennessee in the States. And in 2005, had a life-changing experience that um, meant that I started on a year of pilgrimage and explored different types of communities because I felt some kind of calling. And that led me to England and to the Northumbria community, of which I'm a part, and also to my husband, Pete, who I met whilst visiting the mother house of the Northumbria community. So I moved over in 2006 and I've been part of this community ever since. Ever since. And you have a new role in this community as of the last little... When, when, when did two the change months, Less than two months less ago. Less than two Ooh. months. So tell us about that. <laughs> well, um, we've just had a period of interim leadership and a time of discernment. And August the 1st, um, three of us started as the new overseer, leaders, guardians of, of the Northumbria community. And it says myself and Sarah Pillar and Sarah Hay are um, in new leadership seats. And it's a real, real joy and privilege and, of course, slightly daunting as well. <laughs> I guess there's yeah. nothing the Lord can't handle it. Exactly. Like, oh. <laughs> um, so Northumbria community is how old? How long has it been around? Well, we had official beginnings of merging of two different groups in 1990, but its roots are late 70s, um, and then throughout the 80s, the community was kind of forming, even though it wasn't um, officially what's what we know now as the Northumbria community. But I'd say 1990 is an official beginning. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so those of you who might not even be familiar with the Northumbria community, most of us are familiar with these beautiful Celtic daily prayer books um, that that are are tucked away in prayer rooms all over the world. <laughs> so that's been part of your gift to the body of Christ. Um, but the Northumbria community isn't. You have a mother house, but you're a dispersed community. That's so right. talk about that a little bit. What does it look like for you? Um, yes. Yeah, so we've had a mother house since 1992. And we offer hospitality from that place, and there's a monastic rhythm, and always 
some residential community holding the space there. So I've lived at the mother house for most of um, my time since 2006, not all of it, but most of it. But maybe there's six to 10 people living at the mother house and there's 400 companions and 100 novices. So the vast majority of of our folks are um, seeking God in this way in their ordinary lives, wherever they find themselves. So most will make a visit to the mother house and some quite regularly, but um, it is really about living it out in wherever you might find yourself. And you're all over the world, aren't you? We are, like you, not in every place. Not Antarctica yet. yet. Not Antarctica. (laughs) And not many uh, in South America at the moment. But um, but the um, our our office our prayer office is currently being translated into Brazilian Portuguese. Okay, so that request has come through. Mm-hmm. But not so not everywhere. But I think the early founders who were all located in the northeast of England are still rather gobsmacked <laughs> that it's this small thing um, of some people seeking a way um, has ended up resonating with people. Mm-hmm. All over the world. Yeah. All over the world. Mm. So that takes us to the the work and the task. So, like you, we're a dispersed community, mm. and we've got members sort of in far flung places. And so, particularly in this season of the OMS, we're sort of having a little bit of a little growth spurt, which in, in always a growth spurt involves some some growth discomfort, and and we're just realizing we need to do some work around how do we. Um, how do we, in, in the midst of growth and being dispersed, how do we help hold the members, you know, and how do we um, maintain that sense of, of a shared way of life, you know, some community when we are so all over the place? So, so I, I'm just, I'm really keen to have a conversation with you about what, what that has looked like for you, mm. what's been helpful, what have you learned on your journey? Um, really, the word I'm looking for is cohesiveness, mm. right? Um, uh, to, to have some cohesiveness and, and a sense of shared life in a dispersed community. So. so there are things that bind us, that cohesive us, <laughs> that keep us together, I think, across the miles. Um, and I would say, I mean, we've already mentioned it, Celtic Daily Prayer. The first would be our daily office. So we have a fourfold office and these prayer books. And people pray... I think most companions would pray Celtic daily prayer in some way, most days. But beautifully, some for some people, I think that would be they put the CD on of morning prayer in their car on the way to work. Or, um, it's so you have a head- CD version as well as the book. Yes. You're so high tech. <laughs> <laughs> and even more amazingly, we have that e-book on Kindle, which has app-like features. So another person might have it on their a tablet or something on their commute to work. Um, but also, of course, we'll be keeping the rhythm and the prayers at Nether Springs, our mother house. Andy Rain, one of our font founders, would be praying morning prayer most days in the Roman Catholic Church on Holy Island, on Lindisfarne. I would say the vast majority of people have the book and they're at their kitchen table or they're in their favorite prayer chair, in their living room, what have you, and keeping this office. Many of them will have sheds um, in the little, 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 shed, little pustinias in the, <laughs> in the back garden. and um, Or maybe they've memorized it and they're praying it while they walk the dog in the morning. But um, 
So there's all kinds of ways to access the prayers, but whenever you're praying, there's a sense that even if you're absolutely alone and you don't see another person while you're praying it, there's such a sense that all around the world, other people will be joining in these prayers. And there's a shared story and there's shared language and there's shared worship as we as we do this together. Mm-hmm. So that is a very wonderful gift of cohesion. Um, should I carry no, on? No, carry, carry on. A second gift, I would say, would be our um, rule of life, which for us it's a twofold rule, and it's availability to God and others and intentional, deliberate vulnerability to God and others. I had myself, especially for the availability that I I want to be available to myself mm. <laughs> and my own needs um, in the mix of that as well. But that's our rule of life. And so every companion, we say, of community has taken a vow to have availability and vulnerability as their way for life and living. Their vocation within the larger vocation of following Jesus mm-hmm. um, is this way. And every companion is um, challenged to find out what that means in their own context. So we say that our rule of life is provocative and not prescriptive. Yeah. And because availability and vulnerability, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's like, oh, <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> Jesus, I know you were, but um, but we say this because we think Jesus, Jesus was like that and we want to be like him. So it's um, the vow keeps us on that path, even when it's hard. And for me, I would say, and perhaps for many others, just knowing that other people are out there committing to this way and their own vocation, it gives me, it fosters perseverance in me to stay with it, um, especially on days when it's hard. It gives me courage as well when I'm having to be brave and to make sure that I keep showing up to my own life and following Jesus wherever he might lead. It, it, yeah, it gives me great courage to know that my fellow companions are on that same way. So the rule gives a lot of cohesion as well. Mm -hmm. I think there's, there's lang, I think there's a language piece in that too, right? Which I actually, I noticed both in your rule, you know, talk about availability and vulnerability. So that's a common language. You know, everybody, there'll be all kinds of nuance and how people would interpret Mm -hmm. that, but Mm -hmm. there are two sort of big rocks, one they would hold in each hand and, and feel the weight of them but then also the language in the celtic the daily prayer book you have deliberately crafted in uh and and thanks be to god for your team that put that together but through story and poetry and language you've just painted this beautiful attractive winsome invitation into the life of jesus Mm -hmm. you know um so the language there has been something that i think creates cohesion and, and unity as well too because mm. language creates culture yes stories create, create culture, culture right mm-hmm. and and that's something you guys have done so well mm. so so what else what else holds you together well as you just mentioned stories i would say we are inspired by the celtic saints and the stories the stories of the good men and women of old um inspire us and we we find a home in these stories and in the ongoing story really of of our life together but there is a kind of wonderful sense of home. I don't, I don't know how, this must be a charism or what God has done for us because 
most companions will have some sense of encountering community, either through the prayers or the mother house or a gathering or something, and they, they, you know, they're surprised to say, "Oh, I feel like I've come home." Hmm. And there's a kind of shared heart and shared home, as well as this shared way and this shared prayer. So even people who've never met each other, when they do meet each other, there's a sense of knowing each other or a a, a common heart, a common um, a common home. The this doesn't always make sense to me that you would see meet somebody you've never met before and they would feel familiar to you, <laughs> but it happens again and again and again. Also, we commit to praying for one another. So we have a prayer guide and every quarter we'll be praying for every companion and other prayer requests that might come through. And I'm amazed at how interceding for people you've never met actually is a kind of meeting. So interceding for someone, sometimes I've I've interceded for them for years and then I meet them and say, hello, you're the one, (laughs) you're... You know, whoever you are, and oh yes, I brought you before God. Yeah. You know, um, month after month, year after year, and here we are finally meeting. So there's a kind of invisible connectivity that happens. It's not normal relationships, although that happens too. You know, hey Jill, let's go to the charity shop and <laughs> <laughs> talk about our souls and how it is with us as we go. But there is also this web this almost invisible threads that connect us all across the miles and I say that just to encourage you it's it feels woo-woo and it feels maybe like how could this be a little bit mystical a little bit mystical (laughs) but it is our experience and you might find as you go on as well that in your ways of praying for one another and on this way together you find oh I know I'm connected to people that I've that I've never met, but I know have taken these vows, that I know are in prayer, I know are following in the way of Jesus. So we're grateful for that shared home, this shared mystical, if I might call that, connection. We have some friends in a community in the Netherlands called the Dispiel community, and they have, um, I don't know if they've written this quote or if it's up in their house, but we've adopted it for ourselves as well. And it says, we eat together, even if it isn't at one table. We live together, even if it isn't in one house. We pray together, even if it isn't in one chapel. (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah, and it's how we feel, I think, a lot of the time, which is great. Can you talk to me just really briefly, because I know you've got some other thoughts there, but what's the role of a mother house as it pertains to Ah, the dispersed community? Yes. I've been there. Another spring is so great. The bell goes five minutes before prayer, and we all come, (laughs) and we do prayer, and we take names of members out of a basket, and we pray over the members. Yes. Yeah, it's great. It is great. We found it was really helpful to have... Well, I don't know if you found this, actually. You know, what is the order of the mustard seed? What is the Northumbria community? And it's very hard to put words on. And even Jesus, when the the disciples ask him about himself, he just says, come and see. And it's really been a gift to us that we have an outward, visible expression of our way of life. 
So we hope, we, we know the mother house isn't the center and the end all be all of the community, far from it. But we hope that when people come to our mother house, Nether Springs, that they would glimpse and see and experience our ethos, our values, our way, our prayers at work. And it's a gathering space. It's a place of encounter. I could say, in fact, that's the strongest thing, a place of encounter with God and with others. And it, yeah. And a pilgrimage. Yes. So many of us have gone on pilgrimage there mm. to, to Nether Springs, whether we're part of, of your community or, right, yeah. or not. Yeah. It's so. definitely not a members only thing. It's yes. open, <laughs> open <laughs> hospitality. But at any given time, there will be companions for whom it is their spiritual home. Um, and a very significant place in their own journey with God. So it, I think the mother house is a, a key um, aspect of our cohesion. Yeah. There's a focal point. We have other houses as well and other um, places of hospitality, but um, the mother house is special, but mustn't be confused with when you come to the mother house, you're coming to the mother house of the Northumbria community. You're not coming to the Northumbria yeah. community. That's an important distinction. Yeah. Good. Anything else that's been helpful for you in terms of cohesion and culture and, and holding the members? Well, I think I wanted to talk just about one more thing that's emerging for us, which is called the School for Monastic Living. And we're wanting to form more opportunities to gather around our treasures to um, learn together more and to learn in the ways of love. So you all, I think, are ahead of us on the ways that you're able to connect online in various ways and receive training and offer teaching to one another. But we're on the cusp of trying to learn how to gather gather together, um, not just at the Mother House for retreats or and not just at Easter for Easter workshop, which has always been a big gathering time, but creating multiple opportunities to experience pilgrimage together, to do reading and um, learning together in various forms. So that's emerging. And we do, of course, have various um, local groups. We have gatherings and so forth in local regions. So there are times that we, we are together. But predominantly, it's, it's this um, dispersed, invisible way that we're all living alone together but what I find is that this um, these connections are extremely meaningful even if they aren't relational in everyday ways um, that people's everyday relationships and their families and their on their streets at their workplaces um, in their churches if they go to church those relationships are enriched by having this network of of praying companions on the way. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. So what's, um, as you look over, cause now you're sort of, you know, the lead team of the community mm. and one of, one of the three. And as, as you sort of look over the community right now, the North Umbria, what do you see? What, what makes your heart glad? <laughs> Well, one of the extraordinary things that actually Julia and I both just heard is um, we had a speaker yesterday who's done research on communities across Europe. And she was saying that they found the shifts um, and there's a shift toward union 
with God and others and the and the created world. Can I can I just interject there? Yes. I think one of the things she said there was a shift towards union, a shift away from from praying prayers to pr- praying. A shift from saying prayers to praying. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. So yes. that's and one that's the, that's the part of the union shift. Yes. Yeah. Actually yeah. you're not just showing up to say your prayers, but you're you're praying. So the shift toward union, a shift toward the ordinary, mm. even uh, ordinary mysticism and that um, ordinary um, a shift toward communal and more expressions of, of life together in a shared life, even in a dispersed way, and a shift towards transformation and becoming transformed transformers <laughs> in the world. And as I look out um, over the Northumbria community, I see those all four of those aspects at work. And it made me feel so excited. And one of the things I felt is that whatever, well, I feel like the Holy Spirit is up to something. Don't know what. Yes. (laughs) And whatever it is, there's a sense that we're in it together. Mm. And it's a work that God is doing across various expressions of community life and monastic life and so forth. And the transformative aspect is the part that is the sweetest thing to me. So tell me more about that. Why is that so sweet for you? Oh, (laughs) it still amazes me that we can change. Yeah. And, And the change that God brings doesn't make you less yourself. It makes you more yourself. It makes cities more the city God always dreamed it to be. It makes neighborhoods and workplaces um, it's not a it's not a change that takes away the real stuff. It just brings it out more, and the discovery of that and seeing seeing transformation excites me tremendously. And we are seeing that. And I feel like with the school for monastic living and what happens at Nether Springs and all of the ways our companions are and novices and friends are sharing life together. Um, we we begin to change. I need better language for how why that excites me so much. But it feels like a miracle. It feels like a miracle every it is time. A miracle. It yeah. is a miracle every time. Even someone comes on retreat on a Friday and they leave on Sunday and they're more themselves. They're more alive. They're more free. They're more in love with God and more aware of how much God loves them. And I'm never sure how it happens because it's never us that's making it happen. You just hold the space. We just hold the space and say, wow, wow. (laughs) And even for myself, I think, wow, I'm not, I'm more myself than I was before that encounter Mm. or that. And more like Jesus. Oh, isn't that a beautiful bit? We get more like him and more like us all at the same time. Yes. That's a mystery. That is a great mystery, and it's thrilling. Yeah. Yes. So I look out and see those things. That's so good. Mm. Catherine, can you pray for us? So probably it's not just OMS folks who are going to be listening in. It's probably uh, other communities and stuff. Can you just pray for all of us new monastics and people interested in new monasticism and just whatever's on your heart? Yes. I'd be happy to. Thanks, John. Let's pray. Loving God, we praise you and we bless your holy name. We thank you for all the ways that you call us together as your body. 
We thank you that we are alone together on this way with you. I pray blessing upon all of us seeking to live this life, this life of following you and seeking you as the one thing necessary. We pray that you would be at work as only you can to connect us across miles, across mountains, across oceans, but heart to heart, mind to mind, middle to middle, that we would know that we are are knit together as your body. May that give us hope. May it give us courage. May it keep us faithful to the lives that you have called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could we end with the Celtic evening blessing? Oh, is, sure. Have I got, is yes. this the right one? So That's the morning blessing. That's the morning. Oh, no. Yes, but that's okay. That's, okay. Okay, let's do it together. Do you want to sing it? I don't know this. No. Okay, no, we won't sing it. We'll <laughs> we just. Won't sing it. That would be bad. That would not work. All right. May, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go. Go.